This is section ninety two of Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain A Biography Volume one Part two eighteen sixty six to eighteen seventy five Chapter ninety two Further London Lecture Triumphs Orion Clemens records that he met Sam and Livy on their arrival from England November second and that the president of the mercantile library association sent up his card four times in the hope of getting a chance to propose a lecture engagement an incident which impressed orion deeply in its evidence of his brother's towering importance orion himself was by this time engaged in various projects he was inventing a flying machine for one thing writing a jules verne story reading proof on a new york daily and contemplating the lecture field this great blaze of international appreciation which had come to the little boy who used to set type for him in hannibal and wash up the forms and cry over the dirty proof made him gasp they went to see booth in hamlet he says and booth sent for sam to come behind the scenes and when sam proposed to add a part to hamlet the part of a bystander who makes humorous modern comment on the situations in the play, Booth laughed immoderately. Proposing a sacrilege like that to Booth! To what heights had this printer-pilot, minor brother, not attained? This idea of introducing a new character in Hamlet was really attempted later by Mark Twain with the connivance of Joe Goodman, of all men, sad to relate so far as is known it is the one stain on goodman's literary record clemens returned immediately to england the following saturday in fact and was back in london lecturing again after barely a month's absence he gave the roughing it address this time under the title of roughing it on the silver frontier and if his audiences were any less enthusiastic or his houses less crowded than before the newspapers of that day have left no record of it. It was the height of the season now, and being free to do so, he threw himself into the whirl of it, and for two months, beyond doubt, was the most talked-of figure in London. The Athenium Club made him a visiting member, an honor considered next to knighthood. Punch quoted him. Societies banqueted him. His apartments, as before, were besieged by callers. Afternoons one was likely to find him in Poet's Corner of the Langham smoking-room with a group of London and American authors, Reed, Collins, Miller, and the others, frankly rioting in his bold fancies. Charles Warren Stoddard was in London at the time, and acted as his secretary. Stoddard was a gentle poet, a delightful fellow, and Clemens was very fond of him. His only complaint of Stoddard was that he did not laugh enough at his humorous yarns. Clemens once said, Dolby and I used to come in after the lecture, or perhaps after being out to some dinner, and we like to sit down and talk it over and tell yarns and we expected Stoddard to laugh at them. But Stoddard would lie there on the couch and snore. 
otherwise as a secretary he was perfect the great tickborne trial was in progress then and the spectacle of an illiterate impostor trying to establish his claim as the rightful heir to a great estate was highly diverting to mark twain in a letter of this period he speaks of having attended one of the claimant's evenings he wanted to preserve the evidence as future literary material and stoddard day after day patiently collected the news reports and neatly pasted them into scrapbooks where they still rest a complete record of that now forgotten farce the tickborne trial recalled to mark twain the claimant in the lampton family who from time to time wrote him long letters urging him to join in the effort to establish his rights to the earldom of durham this american claimant was a distant cousin who had somehow gotten hold of or had fabricated a full set of documents colonel henry watterson just quoted also a lambton connection adds during the tickborne trial mark and i were in london and one day he said to me i have investigated this durham business down at the herald's office there is nothing to it the lamptons passed out of the earldom of durham a hundred years ago there were never any estates the title lapsed the present earldom is a new creation not in the same family at all but i'll tell you what if you'll put up five hundred dollars i'll put up five hundred dollars more we'll bring our chap over here and set him in as claimant and my word for it kenley's fat boy won't be a marker to him it was a characteristic mark twain project one of the sort he never earned out in reality but loved to follow in fancy and with the pen sometimes the rightful earl of durham continued to send letters for a long time after that some of them still exist but he did not establish his claim no one but mark twain ever really got anything out of it like the tennessee land it furnished material by and by for a book colonel watterson goes on to say that clemens was only joking about having looked up the matter in the peerage that he hadn't really looked it up at all and that the earldom lies still in the lambton family another of clemens friends in london at this time was prentice mulford of california in later years mulford acquired a wide reputation for his optimistic and practical psychologies through them he lifted himself out of the slough of despond and he sought to extend a helping hand to others his white cross library had a wide reading and a wide influence perhaps has to this day but in eighteen seventy three mulford had not found the tangibility of thought the secret of strength he was only finding it maybe in his frank acknowledgment of shortcoming now mark i am down very much down at present you are up where you deserve to be i can't ask this on the score of any past favors or there have been none i have not always spoken of you in terms of extravagant praise have sometimes criticized you which was due i suppose in part to an envious spirit i am simply human some people in the same profession say they entertain no jealousy of those more successful well, i can't uh, they are divine i 
am not. It was only that he wished Clemens to speak a word for him to Rutledge, to get him a hearing for his work. He adds, I shall be up myself some day, although my line is far apart from yours. Whether you can do anything that I ask of you or not, I shall be happy then, as I would now, to do you any just and right service. Perhaps I have mistaken my vocation. Certainly if I was back with my rocker on the Tuolumne, I'd make it rattle livelier than ever I did before. I have occasionally thought of London Bridge, but the Thames is now so damn cold and dirty, and besides I can swim, and any attempt at drowning would, through the mere instinct of self-preservation, only result in my swimming ashore and ruining my best clothes, wherefore I should be worse off than ever. Of course Mark Twain granted the favor Mulford asked, and a great deal more, no doubt, for that was his way. Mulford came up, as he had prophesied, but the sea in due time claimed him, though not in the way he had contemplated. Years after he was one day found drifting off the shores of Long Island in an open boat, dead. Clemens made a number of notable dinner speeches during this second London lecture period. His response to the toast of the ladies, delivered at the annual dinner of the Scottish Corporation of London, was the sensational event of the evening. He was obliged to decline an invitation to the Lord Mayor's dinner, whereupon his lordship wrote to urge him to be present at least at the finale, when the welcome would be none the less hearty, and bespoke his attendance for any future dinners. Clemens lectured steadily at the Hanover Square Rooms during the two months of his stay in London, and it was only toward the end of this astonishing engagement that the audience began to show any sign of diminishing. Early in January he wrote to Twitchell, I am not going to the provinces because I cannot get halls that are large enough. I always felt cramped in the Hanover Square Rooms, but I find that everybody here speaks with awe and respect of that prodigious hall, and wonders that I could fill it so long. I am hoping to be back in twenty days, but I have so much to go home to and enjoy with a jubilant joy that it hardly seems possible that it can come to pass in so uncertain a world as this. In the same letter he speaks of attending an exhibition of Landseer's paintings at the Royal Academy. Ah, they are wonderfully beautiful. There are such rich moonlights and dusks in the challenge and the combat, and in that long flight of birds across a lake in the subdued flush of sunset or sunrise for no man can ever tell t'other from which in a picture, except it has the filmy morning mist breathing itself up from the water. And there is such a grave analytical profundity in the face of the connoisseurs, and such pathos in the picture of a fawn suckling its dead mother on a snowy waste with only the blood 
in the footprints to hint that she is not asleep and the way that he makes animals flesh and blood insomuch that if the room were darkened ever so little and a motionless living animal placed beside the painted one no man could tell which was which i interrupted myself here to drop a line to shirley brooks and suggest a cartoon for punch it was this in one of the academy saloons in a suite where these pictures are a fine bust of landseer stands on a pedestal in the centre of the room i suggested that some of landseer's best-known animals be represented as having come down out of their frames in the moonlight and grouped themselves about the bust in mourning attitudes he sailed january thirteenth eighteen seventy four on the pathia and two weeks later was at home where all was going well the gilded age had been issued a day or two before christmas and was already in its third edition by the end of january twenty six thousand copies had been sold a sale that had increased to forty thousand a month later the new house was progressing though it was by no means finished mrs clemens was in good health little susie was full of such american activities as to earn the name of the modoc the promise of the year was bright end of chapter ninety two further london lecture triumphs read by john greenman